1: Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 270 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today we're talking with my friend David Burkus about some new ways of thinking about networking that still apply in today's remote meeting and social distancing world. If today's podcast resonates with you and you haven't read our book, The Small Firm Roadmap yet, you can get a free chapter right now at lawyerist.com/slash book. Today's podcast is brought to you by Text Expander, LawPay, and Back Office Betty's. We wouldn't be
2: able to do this show without their support. Stay tuned; we'll tell you more about them later on.
1: So, without jumping ahead into the content of your discussion with David and his book "Friend of a Friend," I'm excited that we will also be featuring his book as our Book Club of the Month uh, discussion in the Lawyerist Insider Facebook group this month.
2: Yeah, I think people like it. And David and I recorded this interview before we knew anything about coronavirus uh, coming our way. Um, There was no pandemic at the time, but fortunately, none of the concepts he talks about are, you know, about going golfing and to live networking events. So everything he writes about and talks about are totally transferable to the world we're living in right now.
1: So I think everybody will like it. Yeah, so if you'd like to participate in our book club discussion in the Facebook group, um, you can pick up a copy of his book, either a print copy or an ebook copy, and join us for the discussion of these new networking ideas in April.
2: Yeah, find us on Facebook for that, and if you haven't joined Insider before, you can do that on the front page of Lawyerist. Uh, just register an account, and then you'll be welcomed into the Insider Facebook group, and you can join the book club. And now here is my conversation with David.
0: So my name is David Berkus. I'm the author of three and a half books, all of which are geared at trying to make work in the world of work suck just a little bit less. (laughs) I
2: like that. Uh, So the most recent one is Friends of Friends of Friends of Friends.
0: Yeah, Friend of a Friend of a Friend. I forget how many there are. My my eight-year-old son once recited the whole thing off the cover, and uh, (laughs) I I was supposed to count, and I've already forgotten what the count
2: was. What's the half book?
0: The half book is uh, a book called Pick a Fight, uh, how great teams find a purpose worth rallying around. And it, it technically it's the newest one as we're recording hmm. this one, but it is um, it is an audio only, and uh, so I've I taken to calling it half a book because I wrote it specifically to be heard, Audible original style. And I don't know if we'll do a print one or not. I, I kind of like that it's just audio because you know as, as as you've learned, I mean you probably learned this from the podcast. This is the format people yeah, like to uh, to listen to more often. M- more people are reading with their ears than their eyes these days. So yeah, uh,
2: that's super interesting. I don't think I'm sure there are other people who've done audio only books, but um, but the, you're the first person I've actually heard from that, that I know that's done it. That's a pretty cool idea.
0: Well, th- well, thanks. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you in about 90 days if it was a cool idea or not. It was an idea, for sure. <laughs> I don't know if it was a good one
2: or bad. Uh, we are all about experiments here, so love it. <laughs> so we're going to talk today about one of the things that has bedeviled me and I think everyone else since we started hearing the word, and that is networking, and I have vivid memories of the career services office at my law school talking about the importance of networking <laughs> without explaining anything about it. And then I go out into business for myself and I have to network and I have to figure out what that means. And God, I so many lunches where somebody's like asking me the quid pro quo what you know what can i do for you if you'll do for me and here's my business you know passing out business cards at networking groups and ah that's not what we're talking about right
0: oh no totally no first of all (laughs) that's not what we're talking about but no i'm with you the um the awkward sort of happy hour networking groups and everyone's trading around and there's the 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 person most excited somehow always sells life insurance like you know those types of of situations. No, that is not what we're talking about. Can
2: we categorically just reject that as like the idea of quid pro quo networking is mostly not all that effective?
0: Well, there's, there's a couple of things that we should categorically reject. Yeah, yeah quid pro quo, for sure. Um, the idea that you're going to meet novel and unique people who are going to give you information that you wouldn't have found anyway at these mixers, we should categorically reject, right? Mm-hmm. And then the idea that sort of because we assume this networking thing is uh, about being at those sub- sort of mixers, there's this other kind of myth around it that networking is the domain of the extroverts and that introverts are, are bad at it or uncomfortable at it, et cetera. And this is That's not accurate either. Some of the people with the most robust networks that I've ever met are are introverts, and that allows them to connect with fewer people at a time, but deeper relationships over time. And so there's a lot of different things we should categorically
2: reject. I mean, the introvert thing is interesting to me because I think I'm sort of on the line between introvert and extrovert, I think. Well, most of us are. About about 80% of us are. Okay, fair enough. And like, I don't look forward to walking into a room full of strangers but I don't find it difficult to connect with people, you know. Yeah,
0: so. I'm in a similar boat where I. Um, so most of us, you know, I, I, there's a whole bunch we could talk about here. the The um, idea that most people are categorized introvert or extrovert mm-hmm. is really sort of a, a bogus idea based on primarily on the Myers-Briggs test, which is which is itself a bogus test, right? Yeah. It's legitimate tests of personality give you a score, right? So it's a continuum somewhere between zero and a hundred uh, score of extroversion, and there are a couple people that are like. Like super hundred, you've met them. Right. You probably met them too early in the morning and hated them. Right. <laughs> um, and then zero would be that total sort of reclusive issue. But most of us fall in the middle. Like it's a normal distribution, an inverted you. And so most of us fall in that middle place. And, I, and I'm in the same boat. I score higher on extroversion than my wife does, for example. She really doesn't like going to those, those events. And we'll go to ones related to her profession. And I'm the one in charge of working the room, right? Like I've gone to recruiting dinners for her company and been the one telling people why they should come to work at the... And it doesn't... I don't get paid anymore for bringing them in. Like it's not even my company.
2: So you just use the phrase working the room, which comes up all the time <laughs> in networking. Should that be a thing we're trying to do? And if so, what does it mean to be effective?
0: No, I, I, I don't think you have to do it. I think... And this is this goes back to that idea that I was, I was hinting at, right? That the difference... At one of those events, between uh, people who score high on extroversion or people who score low and hence tend towards introversion, is that are are you working the room in that you are talking to lots of different people? I really, I actually, legitimately enjoy. ah, This is a terrible analogy, but almost like at a buffet where you get a little taste of everything and you decide who is like the coolest person that I want to interact with. Like I don't, I don't like the idea that oh, I didn't at least get a little time with that person, so I didn't get to know more about them. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm that person. If you score higher on the whatever thing you're you're going to be in a in a room Uh, With two or three people, and you're not worried about touching base with everyone there. You're just focused on the people who are in front of you, et cetera. If you look at the research, it's almost a wash, but it actually tips towards the introverts over time because when you learn more about somebody because you spent longer time in conversation with them and you let that conversation wander, you have more reasons to reconnect. You might have, you might find more things in common, which is great, but you also just now you have more information about that person. So you have more reasons why you you would circle back with them Hmm. in 60 to 90 days because something triggered them in your mind or something like that. So you tend to actually do better over the long term going for small and, and not doing that work the room thing. However, you know it's it's not about one individual piece of advice. Like this is the biggest problem I think that people hate networking is I told you I'm an extrovert. If you lean more towards introversion, it's a little bit different. Most of the networking books that we read, the advice columns that we find when we Google and whatever, they're written by a very specific personality. They're written by mm-hmm. usually those extroverted people, usually those room workers. Who are in sales. Usually the ones that are in sales. <laughs> you'll, find, you'll find people talk about the uh, numbers game, which is mm-hmm. goes hand in hand with the worker room thing, right? That if you meet 100 people, five of them will be prospects. One of them will be a client. So you just need to meet more people. Like that sounds like a terrible way to go about one's life. But that's the advice. And then we try and follow that advice. And we're not that personality. We're not in that profession, right? We're, we're not any of that. And so it just feels weird and awkward and, and inauthentic, right? Yeah. So the big thing I want to stress isn't that it's better to work the room or it's better to have a conversation with you. it's better to do whatever comes naturally to you based on your personality and your past experience. And then trust that as long as you're being deliberate about either strategy It's all going to work out for you in the end.
2: I think this is the core of your thesis is that effective networking is about making friends, right? Yeah. In whatever way you make friends.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I I would say it's about making friends and I would say it's about understanding the friends – the, the, the friend of a friend. That's the reason we called it the book, yeah. understanding the friends that you're about to meet, mm-hmm. you know, or, or getting more deliberate about who you meet through your existing network of friends. So I, I mean, most of the time I tell people that those networking mixer things, like right. you, you don't have to go to any of them if you don't want, I think you, depending on your profession, you definitely want to be involved in your trade association or your professional association. But, you know, people even say like, Oh, I go to the conferences and I never go to the sessions. I just. Stay out in the lobby. Like every most of us hate that guy. Yeah. Right. Go to the sessions. Engage in an interesting conversation. Hmm. Ask a question from the speaker that triggers follow up discussions with other people who are in the room. That's actually more effective because that's how we that's how we make friends. We don't usually make them face to face and decide. I mean, my six year old does right make friends by running up to somebody on the playground
2: and going, "Do you want to be friends?" Right. Right. I love watching my kids make friends. They're just like right. They just see someone and they're like, "We're gonna be friends for
0: sure." But like. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) But adults don't work that way. Like we make friends doing something alongside other people, right? Not going to these face-to-face speed dating type things. We make friends doing things uh, alongside other people. So yeah, so it's about making friends, especially I love the term friends versus contacts or connections, et cetera, because I don't think any sort of sorting people into work buckets or personal buckets are, are worth it. I, it. It's all just one network anyway.
2: So say more about that because we're definitely in a time, like this comes up all the time where people are like, should I have two Facebook accounts, one for my work friends and one, you know, like say more about the dichotomy there between work and personal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so there, we should probably cover two things there, right? One, So one is that dichotomy and then the other is like what in the world to do when it comes to online. And I was deliberately vague in the book about what to do when it comes online because truthfully because the rules are, are changing i saw a thing mm-hmm. today that twitter is now adding stories like instagram did like snapchat did. and by the way i have no interest in that because i'm a grown-up
2: <laughs> right <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but part, some of it is is the way that we um, work off of defaults of technology right so our outlook or a contacts app in our phone, right, right underneath name, it wants me to put the title in the company of someone, right. Which means you almost are immediately triggered, like, is this a work person or is it not? But then there's, there's also like, when you're going to those meetings, and you're meeting with the quid pro quo people, they're trying to filter through all of the connections they make. And is this going to be a viable business connection? And like. First of all, you have no way of knowing that.
2: That's what feels gross, right? Is like assigning value to people based on their value, you know, how valuable they can be to you.
0: Right. And so, Ah. so, you know, that's in a lot of the, I mean, I don't think that's deliberately in a lot of the advice books, but it's the accidental message that is caught totally in those advice books is that when we say networking, we're talking about professionals. So you meet your friends differently than you meet your professional people. No, you don't. Not if you're doing it right, right. Yeah. So there's that element. There's also this, and and we could talk about this a, a little bit at length um, as well, because there's a lot to dive in around this. There's this concept called multiplexity, which is refers to the context for connections that we have with people. So sometimes you know people through one dynamic, and other times you know people with multiple different contexts, right? I I have friends that are just my friends, and I have friends that our kids go to school together, so we're also like parents of that classroom. Yep. I have business associates who I go to church with, so we're in those two domains. Like. And so putting people, because we're all multifaceted, just trying to boil people down to one facet usually doesn't work. The other thing that we find is that when we take a multifaceted approach to people and want to get to know all that sort of stuff, they all kind of bleed together. Right. In, in particular, like with respect to the godfather, there's no such thing as it's It's not personal, it's just business. Personal becomes business very often in life. Yeah. My favorite example is Procter and Gamble, the mega uh, billion dollar consumer products company, that started because Mr. Procter and Mr. Gamble were both told by their father-in-law that they should go into business together. Father-in-law—that's a weird hmm. phrase. Yeah, they were married to sisters, right? Like it oh, was interesting. the ultimate kind of personal connection, and it turned into business opportunity. We find that all the time. I mean, you talk to any entrepreneur, you talk to any, any lawyer, right? How do you find a lot of people? It's not through just these networking events. It's through this sort of word of mouth, amorphous thing that blends categories. So my argument is it doesn't make any sense to have those categories in the first place. If all of that network is just going to spill over into different categories anyway.
2: That does suggest to me something that, that you, you've also talked about, which is that if my friendships tend to be stronger where there are multiple categories, then, you know, that, hi, I'm Sam, what do you do, is, is probably the wrong way to start those relationships, because that's um, compartmental. What I should really be looking for is other areas where our interests overlap.
0: Yeah, there, I mean, there's a myriad of problems with the "what do you do?" question, mm-hmm. right? The first is that it sends a really strong signal that I'm looking for people I can categorize in the work bucket. You know, it's yes. it's a question favored by the quid pro quoers, by the numbers game people. Um, the the other reason, let's be honest, is if the Gallup research on uh, employee engagement is right then 70% of North Americans are disengaged or actively disengaged from their job, which means that 7 out of 10 people... It's
2: not how they define themselves, yeah. Right, 7, seven <laughs> out of 10
0: people don't want to answer your question anyway because they don't like what they do, right? And, and you know you know when you've stumbled into this because someone will say, oh, I'm just a whatever,
2: right? I'm trying to think about how to start that conversation, though, because I feel like if I walk up to somebody and say, like, hey, what's your favorite hobby? it's going to sound like overly cute, you know? Like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, so are you, can, you trying to pull a thing?
0: like. <laughs> so you can you can say a couple different things, right? Um, tell me about yourself is a broad question. Mm-hmm. If you want to talk to me about work, you can talk to me about work. If you want to tell me about your family, etc., I don't usually go with the hobbies question. I actually, you know, we, we, we introduce our ju- each other and then I'll usually jump to something like, what's going on in your life that's really exciting? What excites you right now? What are you looking forward to? Which is a forward-looking version of the same question. Yeah. Or what's happened in the last year that has been really uh, exciting. So, so, which is, you know, backward looking, something like that, because again, you can ask in a, in a, a, work way or not way. If, if it's a, if it's less of an official worky type worky, I just coined a term, by the way, it's an <laughs> adjective for work feeling, um, type event. I, I may throw and try and disrupt it by asking like a, oh, where did you grow up? Uh, it sure. really depends on the person though, because that can turn into sometimes feeling like, where are you from? Which I think is a very different question and can be received differently. So little questions like that, if if I'm further... The other thing you can do is go ahead and ask the what do you do question, but be ready with other follow-ups if you catch that just a thing, right? Try to get a better picture of the person. Right, right. So, um, And then if you really want to be a total... Well, you said you don't like asking the what's your hobbies thing Well, I I like to ask random entertainment questions instead. So like have you seen any good movies lately? Hmm. Um, Have you read anything really exciting lately? Sometimes if i'm if it's in the right environment and i'm usually i'll only do this If i'm meeting someone through someone else because there's already a rapport there I will lead with who is your favorite superhero? Um, (laughs) Just just because it's kind of nerdy, but also everybody has one and a story behind why that became their one, right? Either it's a story about like growing up and that was their family favorite or their sibling's favorite or there's something about the character that really resonated with them or about, I found this is anecdotal. This is not data. I should preface that. That's my full disclosure. (laughs) I have found in asking this question about two out of 10 people hate superheroes nobody's in the middle right like the meh, they just or they or they just think it's dumb and but i can still follow up oh interesting okay so when you were a kid like what did you really grow up idolizing what did you really grow up watching etc because everybody did something
2: right maybe they're just prejudiced against people who wear their underpants on the outside right yeah exactly and, and people who prefer capes i mean i'm saying they're, they're still pretty stylish we did away with those in the 20s and i have no idea why so we need to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors when we come back Um, We're going to give you three takeaways. Like This is going to be a very uh, action-oriented podcast. We're going to give you three takeaways for how to do a better job networking that I think everybody can get their heads around, so we'll be back in a minute. Part of building a successful practice is finding the right payment partner. It's important to work with a processor that understands the complex rules for legal payments. LawPay is the only payment solution that ensures trust account compliance for both credit card and e-check transactions. Trust the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage Program and all 50 state bars. LawPay. To learn more or to get started, visit Lawpay.com/slash lawyerist today. Support for today's episode comes from Back Office Betty's, the only virtual receptionist service exclusively dedicated to small law firms that offers a plan with unlimited calls. Their highly specialized service boasts customized call handling, relentlessly friendly team members, and unmatched quality. The Betty's are ready to help you grow your firm even when you're out of the office. Visit wwwbackofficebettiescom slash lawyerist to try them out for one week free. Use promo code PODCAST to receive $150 off your first month. Boost your productivity and save time typing with TextExpander. You can make your own snippets or share and manage snippets for your organization, even if your team works from home. You'll reduce errors and increase productivity. Text Expander can save you so much time, it's like getting an extra employee. Text Expander is available for Mac, Windows, iPhone, iPad, and Chrome. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Visit TextExpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. So, David, we're back. Um, and I loved the way um, we've, we've kind of set this up now. Uh, I'm sure we've got more to say, but um, I'd like to focus us on kind of the three takeaways that you've identified for like how to do a better job networking and no spoilers here, I don't think. They're all focused around taking advantage of friends.
0: Yeah, around friends and around your existing relationships, right? So we talked about before the break about how much we we both loathe those events, right? Mm-hmm. You have my permission, by the way. To never go to one of those again, some people unfortunately have it in their like performance appraisal: how many networking events you go to. So I guess I'm not giving you permission in that situation. Um, I would give you permission to look for a different job. I can give you that.
2: Yeah, and have or have an argument about how your performance is appraised.
0: Right, right, exactly. <laughs> to, to argue that you should change your KPIs, but mm-hmm. so if, if you do these three things, you never have to go to one of those events again, right? Which I think is a Fantastic. strong bonus for a lot of people. Um, and the first one is really just develop a system or develop a habit of reaching back out to your weak ties or dormant ties. Now, those are two very nerdy sayings in the world of network science, which is the foundation uh, of the book. But a, a weak tie is somebody that you know, but you don't know that well inside of an organization. Like if you work for a large organization, I like to describe weak ties as those people you know, but you only see them when there's cake in the break
2: room. There you go. Right. Yep.
0: In the case of you're an entrepreneur, or you run your own firm or something like that. These might be people that you see at the monthly association lunch, but you you've never really had longer than two minutes.
2: There are people I would call acquaintances. Right, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, exactly, acquaintances. In fact, that's actually the term that most of the people interviewed in a study by Mark Granovetter. Mark was the one that coined the term weak tie, but most people Hmm. said that, Right. And then there are dormant ties, which are people that you know and at one point knew really well, right? Maybe you saw them all the time because you had the same job or you went to college together. I I always like to say for guys, like, this is the computer put you guys next to each other in the same dorm. And so you (laughs) saw right? (laughs) Right? Because that's how we develop our relationships. Oh, you're convenient.
2: I really appreciate this one because, like, I'm at the point in my life and it sounds like from – I've heard you mention a couple of ages of kids. Like, I think you're probably there too where you kind of disappeared off the face of the planet for – five, six, seven years yeah. in order to raise kids because that has to be your focus. Yeah, And then you're sort of re-emerging into society and you realize that you don't have any friends anymore <laughs> um, <laughs> because you've let them all go. And I love this one because it's sort of another reason why I should be reaching out to people I've lost touch with, which is something I really want to do anyway. Right. Um, and if there's also, you know, I don't want to reach out to them because I'm hoping they have a secret business deal that I haven't heard of yet, but are right, they, or they, you know, I really do need someone to explain to me how this essential <laughs> yeah. oils opportunity works, right? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody did that to me once where they're like, Hey, it's been, I haven't heard from you since high school and I have a deal for you. And I was like, right. Fuck no, it.
0: no, no, we hate this. Right? <laughs> and this is unfortunately where the networking advice books go awry, right? So Mark Ranavita's yeah. research has been around for almost 50 years. A lot of the advice books have picked up on it, but the advice that you get is, do you need a new job? Well, you're going to find. It through your weak ties, so go. Yeah, but like, yeah. people can smell desperation on you, yeah. right? And they can smell when you're using them to join my network marketing company, right? So, a, a couple different things to say here. One, which is one, like, don't have an agenda when you're doing this. Your goal in reaching back out to people. I mean, I mean, obviously, if you were unexpectedly laid off or something like that, coronavirus destroyed your industry, and so now you have to go find something. That might have been too soon. I apologize to anyone.
2: <laughs> it's not even too soon. You're you're anticipating the future. I <laughs> yeah, think. I
0: guess that's true. <laughs> (laughs) It's very soon. Anyway, so you're in one of those situations where life happens and you really are desperate. Like I get it, best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Second best time was today, Mm -hmm. right? But the bigger thing is to get into a habit of doing it regularly. I had a pretty good transition when my kids started going to school and I had more time for people because I was regularly checking in every two or three months with a lot of friends or using the kid's excuse to fall out of touch with people I wanted to fall out of touch with. But anyway. (laughs) They are good for (laughs) that. The idea here is you're just looking for catch up. You're just looking for a touch point. And so there, there are systems in place that you can use. I'm a big fan of a few of software and apps, but I found that as I started doing the research and started using them and et cetera, a solid like nine months of using them, I didn't need them anymore because what I had done was I had developed a habit and we live in an age where it's, it's insane how easy this is. You're walking along the street and someone pops into your head. You remember something from college, right? A joke that you used to laugh at or something like that. Take the 15 seconds to pull out your phone. You were probably staring at it anyway when your mind was wandering.
2: And text them or email them or whatever. Right,
0: text them, email them, direct message them on on Facebook if they still have one of those. Like there are so many different ways you can reach out. And here's all you have to say. Hey, I was thinking about you today. If there's a reason you can put because, but if they just popped in your head, just say that. And I hope you're well, no reply needed. And then just sign off. And I like the no reply needed because it's the opposite of the essential oils thing right? It's the, I have no agenda. I just wanted to send you some well wishes. And most of the time people will actually reply and you'll find yourself in this either catch up back and forth of emails, or you'll actually say like, you know what, let's jump on the phone sometime in the next week. And let's just chat and catch up. I just literally, before we recorded this podcast, I was on a catch-up call with somebody that I hadn't talked to in like 90 days because I had sent them a, a random email, right? So those, those things happen. They happen Organically, and I find if you just take the time to do that, that'll happen in your life if you notice and do it. You'll do it three to four times in a week, and that's more than enough to what I started calling it now. That's more than enough to reset the stopwatch of awkwardness. Right when right. when I go for a certain period of time without talking to Sam, for example, the stopwatch starts and the longer it goes the more awkward it is to reach back out to them. Totally. But if every 90 days, 6 months, even just once a year I'm checking back in, sending them an article that made me think of them, congratulating them on the fact that their team won the Super Bowl, what it would it like whatever reason it is it doesn't matter, it still resets that stopwatch. And now if they need me, they feel comfortable coming to me, and if I needed them, I feel comfortable coming to them because it's not that college friend trying to sell you on something. It's just a friend mm-hmm. that I talk to every couple of months and I actually need help. And so I'm asking for help, but it's not awkward at that
2: point. On the subject of agendas, I've realized recently, I I feel like when you, you know, maybe this is a a point in life thing, or maybe it's just an evidence that I'm clueless sometimes, but we organize all of our friendships around events. Like, do you want to come over for dinner? Mm -hmm. When's the last time you invited somebody over to just hang out? Hmm. Like, do you just want to come over and hang out with me? Yeah. Which we used to do all the time, right? College was all about just hanging out, maybe drinking some beer um, maybe getting into trouble, but you just would do that. And and now everything has to have an agenda. And I've, I've tried to do a better job of recognizing that there are some people and maybe a lot of people who I actually just really want to spend time with. I just kind of want to hang out. And I've tried to do a better job of just inviting people with absolutely no agenda, not even, you know, maybe we'll go get coffee, but maybe we'll just sit on the porch and, and watch the world go by for a while.
0: Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I I feel like if I were asking people to do that, I would be asking them to Netflix and chill, and that might be taken the wrong way. (laughs) Um, You'd want to be careful. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. well so what i find i'll tell you this i partly because i bought a traeger about a year ago and it changed my life Wait, what is a traeger a traeger is a pellet grill that allows you to smoke but also grill uh, and makes like if you want to do ribs or something like that it's really easier than a traditional smoker because it feeds the wood for you you don't have to
2: that's totally hanging out right, right, right yeah. but so so
0: right so that's <laughs> what I, I will do often is i'll invite people over for dinner and uh, deliberately invite them over for dinner before the dinner starts like we're gonna cook together yeah right so we're doing Doing something, we're even having dinner, but we're also doing it at my house, mm-hmm. which is what that turns into is hanging out, right? Right. Because there's no pressure to get the check and run off, and then oh, I guess it's over, right? Or to ask that awkward, should we get a drink after we have dinner? We're at my house. Stay as long as you would like, right? Totally. And the thing that I really like, we we about two years ago moved into a place that's sort of big enough for this, is I have a couple friends that usually just like what I would call the dormant ties, people that I was very close with, but for life happened and they moved away or we moved away or whatever. We're, now that our kids are all at the same ages, because we were all at the same ages, we'll, I've, I've lack of, for lack of a better term, we'll have like sleepovers. Right. We'll be like, hey, we're going to be in town for this thing. We do that with at least some close friends, but yeah. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> there's not a thing. Sometimes it's literally just, I haven't seen you in like six months. Mm-hmm. You should come over. Right, mm-hmm. um, And sometimes it's, you know, they, they live just far enough away, 90 miles, you know, two hours drive or whatever. Right, They live just an, uh, many hours away to make that work. And that builds that hangout time. So yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I, th- I think a lot of people are now, because you said we're all programmed to want to do things. I think you have to be sort of, sneaky about how you ask them to hang out but i think that would that goes better structuring that time in and so dinner at your home is almost always better than dinner at a restaurant for that reason um there's a lot of other um, ways that you can do it the the nice thing about like doing ribs is it takes six hours so that's a long (laughs) amount of time to be hanging out anyway
2: yeah that was all number one. Uh, number two, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> number two is uh, forget about this uh, business about work friends and real friends, and just uh, just accept that they're all in in one bucket.
0: Yeah. So that I mean that's the first thing, right? That mindset shift. I think there's a couple things that come with that mindset shift. Yeah. Right. The the first is yeah, don't get over the fact, don't put them in buckets anymore. The other is that the goal of networking is not to run up the score. It's not middle school anymore. Mm. The person with the most friends <laughs> is not the winner. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's about the quality of sort of those relationships and understanding those people, right? So when you do that mindset shift to put them all in the friendship bucket, the, your goals in terms of networking become different because now it's about getting to know them more than it's about getting to know the most amount of people, which is a, a great shift. And then the, the other big thing that happens is like I said, sometimes you have to meet strangers. And if your goal is to make friends, then what you're going to do, you can use the questions we talked about before the break or not, but what you're going to do in conversation with them is you're going to try and find reasons to connect. What, some researchers would call uncommon commonalities, things that you might have in common that the rest of the room does not. So you'll automatically, if you're in that mindset, be asking a broader range of questions and you'll find things that you have in common that are probably not related to the reason that you're there um, and the reason you're in front of people, but will create a deeper bond faster and will create more reasons to reconnect so that you can do step one uh, more often as well.
2: The asking questions is that's sort of my networking crutch anyway. And I suppose as a podcast host, it's something that I do. And as a naturally curious person, but like I can sit and ask questions all day. And there are some people who are just either super boring or won't answer with any length. And those, yeah. that's when I just excuse myself to go to the bar or something. But yeah, yeah. No, I at times I have a very tiny bladder um, <laughs> and it's really more of convenience yeah. than anything else. But mostly just I just ask a ton of questions because I want to get to know somebody and I want to find out. I want to drag the interesting stuff out of them if it's there. Yeah.
0: And this is where, so, uh, you know, of all of the advice books, this is one area. Dale Carnegie, the creator of the networking advice books, turned out to be right people are most impressed with you and they perceive that you're interested in them, mm-hmm. like we've seen that in studies, et cetera. The, People will
2: be like, we had a great conversation, even if I said nothing about myself and asked questions. So that's what I was going to say.
0: The, the one thing I will tell you is that in addition to questions, as you find things that are shared, uh, commonalities, those sort of things, mm-hmm. at least be sure to mention that before you ask totally. another question. Like, oh, you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan? Fantastic. I am too. God, 2016 was great, right? Things like that. And then go, you can go on to the next question or you can stay there and talk about that thing you have in common. Mm-hmm. The, the reason being is, is you want to make sure that they know you have these things in common too so that they have an easier time circling back to you as well
2: i mean well nobody wants to feel like they're being grilled right exactly exactly
0: like uh, yeah i and i've been i've been on podcast interviews like that as well it's awkward in any situation
2: i'm gonna switch gears now and uh, just go on the attacks so. yeah
0: thanks i appreciate oh. it I have, a, I have a big spotlight i use when filming video do you want me to put it there on you me now yeah. so i feel like i'm being interrogated Yep,
2: absolutely let me know when you've done that and we'll move on Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm good. I I am in the blinding light. Um, I think sort of a a caveat maybe to this is like, not everybody has to be your best friend, um, but you shouldn't probably hang out, spend much time with people you don't like. Um, But like, do you share something with this person? You know, can can you relate to them? Can you... Is, is there going to be a thing in the future that makes you think of this person so you can reach out to him again? Like that's the level you want to get to, right?
0: Exactly. Exactly. However, I will, I will say life is funny, right? Mm-hmm. Having, having been around for almost four decades now, life is funny. And if I had asked your, your 20 year old self to predict who your best friends would be when you were grown up and with children, et cetera, you would have never picked the person you picked. Right. Yeah, so I couldn't so no, you don't have to be best friends with everyone. What you do have to be is interested in everyone and open, into the possibilities of where the relationship will go with everyone because life's funny you have no way of predicting it that sounds right
2: um so the third one uh is connecting through well this is the title of your book right friends of a friend of a friend of friend. <laughs> um. the third
0: one is the reason we're here <laughs> yeah. but, I, but i put it third because i'm really bad at ordering <laughs> there you
2: go. Um, so this is like the six degrees of separation concept right
0: Yes. Except I don't care about degrees two through six. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, so we've, we've done the studies. Um, we've done them multiple times. We've done them in different formats. It started off with envelopes sent through the postal system. Now we use electronic message, uh, electronic messages. That's fine. We use email because that's, cause that's what it's called. Cause it's 1995 and we've named it. It's email. <laughs> and in, in some cases, the studies have been done, like Facebook's research uh, division actually did a study using, if you've got a Facebook account. So the 2 billion people who are on Facebook mm-hmm. are connected by four, 0.2, I believe the last time they ran it. Hmm. Connections, sort of maximum, right now. I'm not actually interested in that. I, I really, I mean, it's fascinating, right, that you're, you're six handshakes away from the prime minister. But I don't, I don't actually want to meet the prime minister. I, I don't care. Um, w- what I'm interested in is the math. If you are six degrees of separation away from 7.7 billion people, then you are one degree of separation away from. Tens of millions and probably everyone that you actually need to know in your professional life or personal life, yeah. right? So I'm most interested in that. However, I found that in the Facebook, LinkedIn, etc. era, we do this horribly wrong, right? We do what I call LinkedIn stalking.
2: Yeah. That's immediately what I started thinking about is like, I get asked to make connections that I'm not willing to make on LinkedIn all the time. Right. Yeah. Right.
0: For, for a couple different reasons. Right. So yeah, we do that. We, we look up somebody, we, Oh, I got to get connected to this company. So we look it up, we find out, Oh, Oh, Sam knows this person at that company. Yeah. I'll go beg Sam for an introduction. Like, well, first of all, every introduction is also a recommendation. So you might not want to spend whatever rapport you have with that person on me, right? I get asked it all the time from people I don't know that well to introduce them to people I don't know that well. I'm not really comfortable doing that. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing is, like I said, I, I might not actually know them all that well. Different people use these social media tools differently. I'm connected to like 15,000 people on LinkedIn. No, I don't know them all. But as a content creator, like I want them to be able to message me. So I sent them a connection request. That doesn't mean I know them in any capacity. Right. It just means I want them to know that my door is open if you have a question about a piece of content that I publish. Right? So there's that element. The other thing is interesting is it's not all that effective. Like, even if it could work, it may not be the best path. So, one of the reasons the Facebook study, for example, saw a much smaller number is twofold. One, yeah, it's only 2 billion people instead of 7.7, but also the algorithm could actually search the network every study of, of network degrees of connection before that were done trying to send a message to a target person right meaning i had to guess who the right path would be
2: now you can have perfect knowledge of the it.
0: algorithm of, uh, in facebook could just crawl the entire network and find that exact one right yeah so what that suggests is that we all this is literally in in network science this is referred to as the problem of search in social networks and what it suggests is that all of us should have a much more open path so most of the time you'll be able to connect through a friend of a friend, but you have to have an open path. You have to ask a lot of people a question like, who do you know in blank? Mm-hmm. Who do you know in this company? Or I'm moving to this city. Does anyone know anyone in this city? Or the, the answer I give for a lot of professionals is, uh, "You know, I was I did an interview on a, on a car sales podcast, for example, and I said, don't ask who do you know that wants to buy a car? That's a terrible question, right? Mm-hmm. Because how many people broadcast that they want to buy a car? Ask who do you know that it just expanded their family, just had a child, for example, because you know you're going to need to uh, move from that cool little coupe to uh, an SUV or a minivan. Uh, they're really the same car; just one's in denial. <laughs> you, you're going to have to, to move. You're, you're in a life stage that necessitates a different automobile. Yeah. Hey, that's a stage most people can think of somebody in, right? But ask that open-ended question, and what you'll find is you get not just one name, but often multiple names. They're usually only names of people that that person you're asking is comfortable introducing you to, right? Because they either wouldn't think of that LinkedIn person they barely know, right.
2: or- Or they wouldn't mention it. Yeah.
0: If they know them, but they're not comfortable introducing, they're just going to, yeah, it's a, it's a lie of omission about you know, not knowing them. Um, so you're much more likely to actually get an introduction. And then the other thing I say in the search and social network thing is if you ask it of multiple different people, and like four people all have the same name on their list, That's a really good sign, not only that a connection with that person will be easy, but also that it'll be beneficial for both people because you have that many people in common that you both see something in. So you're probably going to make a good friendship connection with that person.
2: You talk about something else that isn't obviously, like it's not a to-do, it's more of a fact, which is... Um, that your network both reflects you and influences you. Yeah. If your network is a is a bunch of unhappy people, then you're probably going to be an unhappy person. If your network uh, doesn't exercise and is overweight, you're more likely to be overweight, which I guess my takeaway from that is it's a good reason to care about who's in your network and not be the kind of person that just hands out business cards to everybody. Because if you're going to have somebody in your network, they should be somebody that you do have something in common with and that maybe is a positive influence. Is that the takeaway? I don't yeah.
0: Know. I mean, there's... A- yeah, there's a couple of different takeaways, I would say. I mean, so I would say that it reflects and influences you. It reflects you because it influenced you in the past, right? We mm-hmm. are all like, there's that famous Jim Rohn quote about where the you're the average of the five people you interact with most. Um, Jim's, I'm not sure about the average thing. Jim's right. The, the thing that he's wrong about is that it's actually much deeper than that. We, we know from a bunch of different studies and what's called the three degrees of influence, that it's not just the people you know, but people who are one degree or two degrees of separation away from you, actually do have a, a statistically significant, documentable, causal, not just correlational, relationship to things like your obesity rate, your whether or not you smoke, your happiness level.
2: I think you said like 6% of your happiness is due to the people two or three degrees away from you?
0: Yeah, so so uh, if you have, if, if people that are three degrees away from you that you haven't met are more, are more likely to say that they're happy with their life. So more of them say they're they're happy or satisfied with their life than say they're unhappy or dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. You have a 6% greater likelihood of answering that same question in the affirmative, that you are happy with your life. And 6% doesn't seem like a lot, but we know from other studies is that uh, if I gave you a $10,000 raise tomorrow, first of all, that'd be very generous of me. But second, it would only raise your happiness happiness, about 2%. And yes, there's a difference between raising your happiness 2% and a 6% greater likelihood. But just to show you, 6% is not like a minimal effect, right? Because even straight cash only has a small effect too. And this effect is, is arguably bigger, right? And so for me, that's a that the takeaway is a couple different things. One, it's much more about understanding the network that you're around, the friends that you're around, having that open friendship and related mentality to everything, because it's going to influence you more than just professional contacts, et cetera. Um, the, the other thing I think it is a big takeaway is that, yeah, that numbers game thing doesn't really work because you're missing out on a lot of connections because you're looking for opportunity instead of looking for who those people are mm-hmm. and whether or not you want to connect with them and become more like them. And then I think the other thing it means is, yeah, we, we might know that uh, show me your friends and I'll show you your future or you're the average of five people. Saying, And we may pay attention a bit to that, but we ought to pay attention to who they spend a lot of time with when they're not right. with us as well, because even though we don't know it, those people have an influence us and we'll be able to predict sort of even their behavior, et cetera. So it's a, it, it, deliberate networking is not just a matter of figuring out how to manage a bunch of contacts in your phone. It's about understanding the whole network that's around you And serving that network and creating value for that network, but also realizing that that whole network is going to influence you more than you knew if you were just trying to do this transactional.
2: So if you just wish you had better relationships, this is an excuse to. Yeah. If you need a cost-benefit for everything, cultivating deeper relationships is going to probably benefit your your career and your work as well.
0: Undoubtedly, (laughs) yeah. And And in fact, Francesca Gino and a couple other researchers led a study on exactly that, not only job satisfaction, but income. Uh, led a study of 150 lawyers um, that, that showed that the people that actually do engage in professional networking, take care of their network, et cetera, are far more successful on those measures than the, than the people that don't. So you, you know you had to be involved in it anyway. You knew that before you started listening to our show. The good news is it doesn't have to feel so icky when you do it. You just need a different mentality and a different playbook.
2: You have wrapped this up perfectly. Thank you so much for talking about networking <laughs> in a way that just so deeply resonates with me. I really appreciate it, David.
0: Oh, no. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. The Lawyers Podcast is produced by Laura Briggs and edited by Chris Melrose. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Well, here are your first two steps. If you haven't read The Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free right now at lawyers.com slash book. Next, if you're looking for help beyond the book, then let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyers.com slash community to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.